0: we thank you so much for the song that we just sang and the power in that. Lord, I thank you so much for Jesus and that because of him that we can truly be free. Just sensing that there's somebody here, there's people here who are in chain and bondage today. I'm not sure what it is, but I just pray today would be the day of release, of receiving mercy and empowerment to be able to do what is best for them and for others in their world. I pray now that you would speak to each of us today as we move into a time of communion together and we uh, celebrate the greatest gift ever given. You're such a generous God. May we tap into your heart today. we just sang a moment ago, give us your heart, God. Give us your heart for the people around us, helps to realize that our generosity makes a difference, and that you didn't give to us that we would keep. You gave to us that we'd be conduits of your mercy and your grace and your love and your compassion to this world, and I thank you, Jesus, for being with us. It's such a joy to be here. In your name we pray, amen. All right, you can have a seat, that'd be great, and I'm just so grateful that you're here today. And uh, I'm Ron Thompson, I get to be one of the pastors here, it's my joy, and so welcome all of you, everybody who's watching online as well, anyone who will be watching through Facebook Live or watching this service in the future at some point, we're just so glad. Speaking of which, I heard that last week we had 35 people at our eschaton service, and so that's like in the mid-20s, we went up to 35. And so it's just exciting what God's doing over there at Eschaton. Just love, love seeing how uh, the team is so effective in what they're doing there. So I want to invite you first to grab these notes, and you're going to need them today. And so let's just grab them first. And so we're ready to write down some thoughts as God gives them to us. And so I just pray that that would be what would happen in your life today. I also encourage you to open your Bible. If you have your Bible, you can open it to Luke chapter 12. And we're going to be in Luke the entire day, just going to be running around different chapters there, different stories that Jesus told and incidents about generosity that we can look at. And so we're in this series. And so the theme verse is at the top of your notes. And uh, it's talking about the fact that Jesus said he came to give us a certain kind of life. And so we're trying to learn from him what that life is like. And so we can practice from him the way that we can enter into that life ourselves. John chapter 10, verse 10. I'm going to ask you, let's read it out loud together. Okay, ready, go. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's his promise. That's why he came. And as we learn to walk with him, then we're going to be able to learn how to experience that full life that he promised to give. And last couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that when I'm practicing with Jesus, it means that I'm doing three things. That first of all, I'm going to be with Jesus. And so I've got to learn what it's like to walk with him and to hear from him. Uh, And I'm going to become like Jesus. That means that for most of us, that's going to be a pretty major change uh, in the way that we are or the way that we were when we came to him. And then lastly, I'm going to do the things that Jesus did. And so we just realize that as I'm becoming like him, that it's going to lead outwardly to impact the world just the way that Jesus did in so many ways. And today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how we can practice generosity as we look at Jesus and some of his teachings, some of his stories, and some of the ways that he expressed that we would be generous people. Now, I know, I just know this. I know this to be true, that you probably woke up this morning on Super Bowl... Sunday morning, I know you woke up this morning, Super Bowl Sunday morning, and you thought to yourself as you was laying there in bed, I know you thought this, I sure hope Ron talks about money today. (laughs) Anybody have that thought? Other than maybe two of you or three of you and me? Okay, so that's what we're going to do today. And so we're going to talk about how money, as Jesus is going to say, is the key, key to our spiritual lives. It's the key. In fact, in just a few moments, we're going to read a verse as Jesus is talking, and he gives this clarifying statement that he makes it about money, and he says this, you cannot emphasize not serve God and money. You cannot, he says. And we're going to look at that today, and what does he mean? It just can't be done. So I realized this, in my prep this week, and so I know your homework's gonna take you basically to just Luke chapter 16, but I couldn't stop there, and so I went to all kinds of places where Jesus was talking about money, and I realized Jesus talked a lot about money. It's amazing how much he talked about money. In fact, scholars believe that Jesus taught about money and talked about money about 25% of the time, about 25% of the words of Jesus in the New Testament have to do with generosity or stewardship or giving or finances, or in some way he's talking about money. And I was thinking about that and I thought, well, if I did that, that would mean about four, one out of every four messages would be about money And I didn't read that in my church growth manual about a way to grow churches to talk about money that often, so we're probably not going to do that. Uh, But I know that we do need to talk about it, and I probably need to talk about it more often, honestly, really do, um, if we're going to practice the way of Jesus. So here it goes. We're going to look at our Bibles, and we are going to open them up, and we're going to listen to Jesus of Nazareth as he talks to us about money. This is going to be fun, okay? It's going to be fun. You with me? Okay, there we go. We're going to talk about generosity today, but let me just say right up front, it's not just about money. Generosity is more than just money. It's in all that you can do, your expressions of your time uh, and expressions of uh, the things that you have, uh, how you're generous with other people. Last week, we talked about serving, and uh, last week, about 280 people signed up to serve in some capacity in our church And it was just awesome to be able to see that and to celebrate that. But what you were doing is you were saying, I'm going to give up some of my time. Now, one of the things I want to encourage you with about serving, when you sign up to serve somewhere, as opposed to you say, I'm going to serve as it comes up, as it comes up. See, when you sign up to say, I'm going to serve, what that means is I'm going to be accountable and reliable. You can count on me even if it is inconvenient. It's even as hard. But if it's always about as it comes up, then it'll be on my own schedule. So I encourage you about that as we think about generosity. So here's what Paul says that Jesus is quoted in Acts 20. John read this verse a moment ago. In everything I did, Paul says, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. So being generous, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself when he said, "It is more blessed to what give than to receive. More blessed to give than to receive." Now that word blessed could be translated as the word happy. So it's the key to happiness. Is that I would see that I give away, and I can experience happiness. It's so exciting. And um, the spring, let's see, right after Easter, we're going to start a series, and we're going to go through the first part of the series will be the Beatitudes, and every one of the Beatitudes start with "Blessed be," or "Happy are those," "Happy are those," and so it's the same word, it's the same idea, it's the same concept. And so Jesus is saying that our generosity—get this—is the pathway to happiness. Without generosity. There's no happiness, no sustained happiness, is what we would say. Now, social research has shown that Jesus knew just what he was talking about, but we don't really need social research to corroborate Jesus or the Bible, but it does in this case. Notre Dame did a study. They took all the um, data they could from all the studies that had been done over happiness and what makes people feel contented and the whole idea of generosity, and they discovered that generous people are happier, healthier, and less depressed. Not only that, generous people have lower blood, lower, um, they have lower blood. I'll get it out. Lower <laughs> blood pressure. I'm just too excited. reduced stress and longer lifespans. Not only that, generous people have better moods, better marriages, and more friends. So I just raise your hand if you ever needed a better mood sometime. You know, <laughs> raise your hand if you're sitting next to someone who needs a better mood now. <laughs> Not really, not really. So when you you examine the facts, it turns out that the Western formula, the one that most of us live by, the Western formula that says more money equals more happiness, it's just simply not the Jesus way. It's not the Jesus way. I love this quote by Richard Foster. It's from a book called The Freedom of Simplicity. Uh, In fact, I was so enthralled with this quote that I'm thinking that this has got to be something we talk about more in the future. He says this, contemporary culture, that's ours, is plagued by the passion to possess. The unreasoned boast abounds that the good life is found in accumulation, that more is better. Indeed, we often accept this notion without question, with the result that the lust for affluence in contemporary society has become psychotic. what a diagnosis. It has completely lost touch with reality. He goes on to say this. He says, Furthermore, the pace of our modern world accentuates our sense of being fractured and fragmented. We feel strained, hurried, breathless. The complexity of rushing to achieve and accumulate more and more threatens frequently to overwhelm us. It seems there's no escape from the rat race. He's basing that on his observations. Western culture and contemporary culture and the way that people live and the people he's talking about. He's saying that the accumulation of wealth and all that wealth promises is, he says, psychotic. It's crazy. It just doesn't line up with the way that Jesus taught that we are to live. Now, you may know that the Bible says this and in another place. It says that money is the root of all evil. Well, the reason I believe is that is true, and it's possible, is that when we give in to the pull of money, we give in to that, the danger is is that we will start believing and thinking that we need more and more, and where do I ever stop? When am I going to be satisfied? What's going to happen? And that keeps us from being generous, because here's what happens to us. We believe that being more generous would lead me to losing what I have, being depleted, that I would actually have to deprive myself of something in some way. So here's what the Bible says. It says a generous life leads to a richer life. Generous life leads to a richer life. It's the way that Jesus said that we can have the life he promised in John 10.10. Generosity refreshes our souls. Generosity blesses both the giver and the receiver, as we just Read about in Acts chapter 20, generosity, is. this is where we're going to end up today, by followers of Jesus helps others see that Jesus is real. Our generosity helps them see it's real. I love this quote by Billy Graham. It's such a loss that he is no longer with us. He says this, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area in his life. The way that we view our money. So what I'm to do is I'm going to dig into these verses in Luke that we're going to look at. I'm going to make four observations that I think will help us as we want to practice generosity and do it the Jesus way. First is this. Put your trust in God. Put your trust in God. So and the verses we're going to look at right now, they come from Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. And in this section, he's talking about how that we can um, move beyond anxiety. So he's talking about the cure to the anxiety that we live with in our world. So I'm going to begin with verse 31. It won't be on the screen or on your notes, but I'm going to begin with verse 31. Jesus says in verse 31, Seek his kingdom, and all the things that bring you anxiety and concern will be provided for you. Now, that's not in there. But he says, says, seek his kingdom, and all things will be provided. But in the context, it's all the things that cause you anxiety and concern, he says, will be provided for you. So what is causing you anxiety? What is causing you concern? That you're not that you're afraid you won't have enough, that God's not going to supply your needs in some way. He then goes on to say, the verses in your notes, do not be afraid. Would you underline that? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is there your heart will be also. So I believe that the number one reason that we're not more generous is that we have the fear. It says, do not be afraid. We have the fear of missing out, FOMO. Fear of missing out. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to be going through the gymnastics of whether you're going to be generous or not and you're thinking about if I give this, I won't be able to have that. And sometimes that, that can feel so big to us that it causes us not to want to do this act of generosity or giving because that's more important to us. And we get stuck in this fear of missing out. That if I'm generous, I'm going to miss out on some experience or I'm going to miss out on some object uh, that I could have had that I believe would have given me a temporary happiness, happiness fix. So I could have had that. So that is why statistics say that the average American, average American spends $1.22 for every $1 they make. Fear of missing out. $1.22 for every $1 they make. When you look at the debt load that most Americans have, the average would be, now I know that many of us are in different places, but that would be the average. Folks, generosity requires trust in God, trusting him. Generosity is a practice that moves my heart away from fear and greed and discontentment. And what does it do? It moves my heart toward what the psalmist writes in Psalm 23. And when we were having our series on the good God, the goodness of God, we talked about this and we talked about the fact that God wants to provide our needs, that he's our good shepherd. Jesus says we're the little flock. We can go right to Psalm 23 and we can make that direct application to us, that he wants to provide all of our needs. And generosity is how we cultivate hearts of gratitude and trust and peace and love and compassion and freedom. Isn't that what we want? The pathway is through generosity. So in Luke 12, Jesus is saying that generosity is not as much an issue of the wallet as it is an issue of the heart. That's the test. Second, Jesus says this, be a manager, not an owner. Be a manager, not an owner. Now we're going to go over to Luke 16 now. And uh, we're not going to have time to t- go through all the verses in Luke 16. It's quite a complicated story uh, that Jesus is telling there. And, but he ends with these verses. And I think that this is really the application for us that we want to look at today. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever was dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So I just think that's a test for us to say, you know, am I Am I honest? Am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with God? If I'm married, I'm being honest to my spouse. Uh, am I being honest about what I'm saying that I have or what I need or what I want or what I'm doing? Am I being honest? So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, there's that verse, you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and they were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. You may be deceiving everyone else, but God knows your heart. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. He just really comes out shooting here. He's talking about the whole idea of us coming to understand that God gives us certain things for our enjoyment, gives us certain things for our stewardship, that we get to manage them for him. We have to realize when it comes to our stuff that we are not owners. You can go the Bible from cover to cover and you see where God says, it's all mine. I own everything. I own everything, and I give you a portion, a portion of what I own so that you can manage it or steward it or take care of it for me. So here's the question. How are you doing? How are you doing at managing God's resources, what he's given you? How are you doing at that? And I just think this is why it's so important for us to become radical, generous givers, See, God gives us 100% of what we have. He gives us 100% of what comes into our coffers. He gives us the brains to be able to to work. He gives us the skills. He gives us the jobs. He's placed you in America. uh, You could have been born any other place in the world. It would be third world. He placed you here where you have opportunity. And he says, I've given you 100% of what you have, and all I ask from you is to give me a percentage back. And then to manage the rest in a way that honors me and shows that I love you and I love others. So when we give, basically we're giving out of gratitude to him for what he's given to us. We're declaring our trust in him through giving. Okay, number three, experience the joy of giving. Jesus would say to us to experience the joy of giving Now we're going over to Luke chapter 6 And we'll be here primarily for the rest of our time Is in Luke chapter 6 And Jesus is talking And many of you have heard this verse before in Luke six thirty-eight, 38 And uh, you've probably quoted it I would say this I'll bet you you've heard it misapplied I'll bet you you've heard it misapplied at some point Where you're watching some You know, or listening to some speaker And they're trying to convince you to give And what they're saying to you Is if you give to them or their cause, that this is what God will do for you, as if it's a promise uh, that will happen because you gave to them, and they manipulate you. And this is why people have an aversion to being generous and giving, because especially sometimes to churches or to religious organizations or to uh, people that they see on television or other kind of marketing campaigns, because they feel that it's just for them, and that somehow if I give to them, I'm going to be blessed. And so it turns people off. But the point Jesus is making here, let's read the verses. He says, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be poured into your lap. So um, they would understand, the people who would be listening to Jesus would understand right now that what he's talking about is he's talking about the, the gleaning that would happen. We've talked about that quite a bit as we went through this uh, series in Ruth, and that they would leave corners of the field open, And that the poor would be able to come And that they would come with their baskets And that they would come gather grain And because they'd had to walk quite a ways to get there They would want to make sure that they got as much grain as possible So they'd pour it in, they'd tamp it down They'd pour it in, they'd tamp it down, they'd shove it down They'd pile it on, they'd make sure they get as much in there Until it's actually running over the sides Running over their sides into their lap Because they wanted to make sure that they had it all So that's the picture here that Jesus is giving us that's happening And he says this For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you Gosh, I like the first part. I like that first part. But the last part, the measure you use, the measure I use, that he's gonna hold me accountable for that. But what he wants us to see is he doesn't want us to give out of fear. He wants us to give out of joy. And that's where I think the first picture is, is that basket's running over in your lap and you're sensing and you're feeling God's provision and you have joy at that moment. That's the joy of giving. And this is true no matter what you're giving, folks. That's why I said generosity can come in lots of different places. If you give judgment and criticism, then what Jesus would say is judgment and criticism is what will come back to you. If you give love or encouragement or affirmation... Or you give someone the benefit of the doubt, then generally speaking, that's what is going to come back to you. And it will come back to you in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over into your lap. That's what we want, right? So we need to be thinking about what is it that we are actually giving away to make sure it's something that we would want to get back in that kind of return. So make sure to give that. There's so much joy in giving. So much joy there. One of the books is... um, it's on my shelf at home, and I pick it up occasionally and just read a few pages. Um, but it's high. It, I just love the concept of this book. It's called The Second Mountain by um, David Brook. And uh, it's what's so funny about this? I love his humility. And uh, we talked about humility last week. Is his first book was all about character, and so he said, "I wrote the second book to correct everything I misspoke in the first book." <laughs> That was not right, not correct, because I have a different way of looking at it now. And I just love that. And so that's what this book is all about. And said about success and what does success mean and how do we attain success. And he says this, when people make generosity part of their daily routine, they refashion who they are. Refashion who they are. The people who radiate a permanent joy have given themselves over to lives of deep and loving commitment. Giving has become their nature, and little by little they have made their souls incandescent. That's quite a picture there, right? Glowing. There's always something flowing out of the interiority of the spirit. Do you like that word? Interiority? I, I thought, is that a word? I had to look it up, make sure it actually is. And it's a word, it really is. And it means just what you think it does, it coming from the inside. For some people, it's mostly fear or insecurity. For the people we call joyful, it's mostly gratitude, delight, and and kindness. So what's coming out of you is what's in your heart, is what he would be saying there if he would be using the words of Jesus. Now, we all know people like this, right? You all know people that exude joy. Uh, Our team came back from Africa. And without question, every time our team comes back from Africa, especially those who go for the first time, they look around at people who have nothing. Uh, I mean, while our team was there, they were without water for four days um, because the city water was shut off. Um, they had internet almost nil. No internet, no access to the outside world. And they were seeing the people that were living there. And this is just while our team was there, knowing that these folks, this is what they live with on a regular basis. And the number one that say, the thing they say when they come home is, I can't believe how much joy they have joy they have because inside they have gratitude for what they do have and what they get and they're incandescent incandescent in so many ways this is what uh, paul writes in first timothy he says command those who are rich in this present world that's most of us not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth which is still uncertain but to put their hope in god who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life he 's saying here when we invest, when we are generous we 're laying down a foundation for eternity for us foundation the Bible says that the heaven will be a place of eternal rewards, and that we're laying that foundation by our giving today, but also generosity builds our reputation. See when we give, we get the joy of knowing that our witness for God is drawing others to him, and that's what Jesus goes on to say in Luke 6:44. He says, "Each tree is recognized by its what? own fruit." So you're recognized by the fruit that's on your trees. What he's saying. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. See, this is one of the things I want to say to you as a church, for me too, is that when people look at those who claim to be followers of Jesus, look at those who claim to be followers of Jesus, they look at them, and I can tell you this, When a non-Christian looks at those who are followers of Jesus, that non-Christian is looking at us through the lens of, I know something about Jesus, and when I look at you, honestly, that's not what I see. So I know something about Jesus, but for many times, and this is why our culture has a hard time with Christianity... And I look at you, I'm not seeing the Jesus that you say you love and that you say you follow. See, they know. They know that followers of Jesus are supposed to be different. Not weird, just different. In the way that we approach life. Why is that? Well, because we're supposed to look like Jesus. And everyone has some understanding of what Jesus looked like and who he was and what he did and how he lived. And so even if people haven't received Jesus as their forgiver, their redeemer, their leader, as the rabbi we talked about a few weeks ago, and their friend, they know enough about Jesus to know that he was a person of grace and forgiveness and generosity and kindness, and they intuitively know that that's what his followers are supposed to look like. So we'd ask ourselves, is that what I look like? Is that the message I'm giving to my world, and I'm a generous person? See, our reputation... Is not based upon our theology. Only in the church world. Our reputation is not based on our theology. People don't care about my sermons. They just don't care. But they do care about whether or not we care or not. They do care about whether or not we're generous or not. Our reputations are based upon our generosity and that we would live with a no-strings-attached approach to life. N.T. Wright says this about what I'm talking about here. He says, when Jesus, for the sake of us all, became poor, we became rich. So he gave up, we became rich now. When people who follow him are ready to put their resources at his disposal, the world and the church may benefit not only from the actual money and what the money is able to do, but from the fact that when the Jesus pattern of dying and rising, of riches to poverty to riches, is acted out, the power of the gospels let loose afresh in the world, and the results will be incalculable. Generosity is love made visible. Love made visible. When we give... We are introducing people to a giving God who loves them. And then the last is this. I need to receive that love. So I receive God's gift of love. That's the last idea that we'll share today. See, and what I want to say here is this. Um, you probably heard this statement. Give until it hurts, right? I don't think that's very attractive, Give until it hurts. And, and I think that's one of the things that some of us that we're so caught up in rules and we want to please and we want to you know, make sure that we're all in alignment with God and what he says. And so we realize that somewhere if I'm not hurting, then I must not be giving enough. I just don't think that's what the Bible teaches. But here's what I do know. That if I live with a mentality that I have to give until it hurts and I'm trying to give until it hurts, how much hurt do I have to have? How bad does it have to feel? And here's the next point I want to share. Can I sustain that? Can I sustain that kind of giving? And the answer is no. Nobody can keep giving until it hurts and 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 it hurts. And it hurts. Nobody. We can't do that. So what do we need then? Well, we need what the Bible says when it comes to giving. Giving. The Bible talks about this. I'll just share a couple of verses here. James 1 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So what he's saying, everything that you have is a gift from God. It's a perfect gift. Everything that you have. He wants you to give some of it. And you give it out of the love relationship you have with him. Last week we ended with this verse, right here again. We love because he first loved us. And then Jesus and and Luke 6 said this way, be merciful just as your father is merciful. And so the bottom line of generosity, I wanted to give us something that we kind of chew on and we walk out here with today is this, radical generosity flows outward as I soak in God's radical undeserved generosity toward me. And we're going to do that right now. We're going to have a time of communion where we get to soak in his radical generosity toward us as we come to him. In fact, Jesus said these words he's talking about when he wants to describe his heavenly father. He wants to describe his heavenly father as a God of radical generosity. He says this, and it's recorded in John chapter 3, 16. It says, For God so loved the world, he was so generous that he gave his one and only son that whoever, nobody left out, all the whoever's in the world who believe in him shall not. Perish, not go to death, not go to eternal damnation, but will have eternal life, life in the fullness with him because he is a generous God. He's the generous lover, and he gave, and he gave, and he gave, and he's still giving today. He's still giving today. That's who he is. So to love is to will the good of another in generosity. That's a form of love. Or he could say that love is a form of generosity is another way to say that. In this view, God is a God who is beyond generous. And when we follow his way, we can become the kind of people who look like Jesus, who live life without fear, who live without anxiety, who live with peace because we trust in God as our good shepherd. We can release the need for control. We can share with those in need and we can live with generous lives. So I'm gonna invite our ushers and they're gonna to move to the tables right now and they're gonna service communion. And communion is a reminder of the verse that we just read about in John 3:16: that Jesus gave his life on the cross that we could have life. It cost God his son. He gave the most that we could have the most when he said he's given his son for us. And so our ushers are moving into place and they're going to help service. And as they do, I just want you to remember what we've talked about today. I want you to bask in the fact that Jesus went to the cross for you. He died for you. He gave his blood for you. He was generous. He held nothing back. He gave you all of his love and you can rest in that. You can celebrate that yourself. So I'm going to put a verse here on the screen. I want you to look at for just a moment It's from Hebrews chapter 12. And it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. So they're going to go ahead and serve you now. We're going to listen to a little bit of music, underscoring. And then we're going to hear a song that's all about the cross and how Jesus gave his blood for us. And then I'll come back and I'll uh, lead us all as we take communion together after we're all served. So yeah. Think about Jesus went to the cross. One of the ways I like to look at that is that when he went there, um, it says, "Who for the joy that was before him, he endured the shame, he endured the pain, uh, the suffering that he went through." And if we could just narrow that down, he endured that for the joy of knowing you. Each one of us individually. Held nothing back. And that song there, it says, Because of that, because of that understanding, I will give. Did you notice it said, All to you? All I am, all I have, all my present, all my past, all my future, I'll give it to you. That's ultimate generosity. We give everything to Him and we turn it over to Him and say, It's yours. Use it and me as you see fit as I get to be engaged in your kingdom's purposes in this world. I get to do that with you. So when we remember that, it's helpful to come and just be reminded of what Jesus did for us. And that's what communion is all about. And Jesus said, I want you to do this, that you would remember me. You'd remember the price that was paid for you. You'd remember the Father's love for you personally, each one of you. And I just say this, if you've never received his love, would you just, right now, as you have communion with this, as this is your moment, when you say, I'm receiving the love God has for me, what Jesus did for me on the cross. And so it says that he had dinner with his disciples, and he set up a meal arrangement, and as part of the meal, they were observing uh, that he broke some bread. And he broke the bread, and he served the bread, his disciples have the bread, and he said to them, he says, eat this And remember me. I would say remember what you're about to watch. Remember what you're about to witness that I did for you that you'll never forget. That my body was broken for you. Let's eat this and remember and thank him. He poured some juice, put some wine into the goblet. And I just think that he passed it to the person that would be next to him. And he said this, he says, as you drink this juice, this wine, it represents my blood. Love ran red, we just heard sung about. That will be shed for you, that you can have life. This is my father giving you life. All you need comes from him. Thank you, Jesus, for that. just rest in this moment a little bit. I just hope that you can hear Jesus talking to you right now. He's looking at you with eyes of love and compassion. He's looking at you with a smile that we've seen on some of the slides of that Jesus. He's smiling at you today. not mad at you. Not disappointed in you. He's not discouraged, looking at you. He loves you. with an everlasting love. You are his beloved. Apart from anything you do, simply because you're his child when you said yes to the gift that the Father gave, you became his child. I just pray that more and more we'd be able to see ourselves in that way as the beloved. And even when life isn't going our way, that we would trust that God's in charge. And that somehow in the process of the struggle that I'm in right now, that God wants me to learn something new about himself, new about his son, and that in the process, that I will have a new understanding that will be visible to other people of the God who loves me. And God, we just thank you so much. Pray that you would bless us with abundance and that we would be committed to being generous. Generous toward you in this world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.